Welcome to the Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Hosted by RebelGrove.com publisher Neil McCrady and Pinnacle Trust financial guru Martin Palomo, the Mind on My Money podcast tackles the financial questions we're all thinking about. From paying for college to saving for retirement, from life insurance needs to 401ks and everything in between. The goal is to help you take the stress out of financial concerns and give you some tips to enjoy life while your mind is on your money. Now here are your hosts, Neil McCrady. And Martin Paloma. Welcome into another edition of Mind on My Money. I'm Neil McCready, Martin Palomo with me today as well from Pinnacle. Of course, this is brought to you by Pinnacle. And we'll talk about Pinnacle in a minute. Now is a time when people are absolutely keeping an eye on their 401ks, their uh, bottom line. They're looking at their bank accounts. They're thinking about retirements and how you're going to be able to afford it and what all, all that is happening in the world. How is that going to impact you? So we'll talk to Martin about those things. Uh, I always believe, Martin, that we should timestamp. I I never did this before the pandemic, but now the pandemic is an endemic and we're in war times. Uh, It's important to note that uh, it's Thursday, February the 24th. As we tape this, it's about 1015 a.m. Central Standard Time. So if by the time you hear this, the world has had uh, some sort of a major calamity, we were not aware of it at the time that we recorded this i'm coming to you from the clark ford studios clark ford's in amory mississippi 662-257-1900 662-257-1900 call that number ask for Corey clark tell Corey what ford product you're um, looking for he'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours right to the bottom line no hassle no haggle you get your quote the rest completely up to you shop it around or do what i've done and that's hop into a clark ford you won't regret it 662-257-1900. And Martin, before we get rolling, tell the people about Pinnacle and how they can get in touch with you. Indeed, my friend. Uh, I'm going to come from you today from the Ted Lasso Studios. Can we do that? Is that sure. Did I just violate copyright or anything like I that? I mean, or? not to me. I'm in the Clark Ford Studios. You're not. Yep. I'm I'm in the, I'm going to, uh, today I'm going to be in the Ted Lasso Studio because I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be, look for the the diamond in the rough and the silver lining. And, and also one of my staff members, I came in today and <clears throat> I have a blue t-shirt draped across my chair with the yellow believe sign on the front. I was like, man, timing is the timing of that was, was pretty impeccable because, uh, I need a little Ted Lasso season one, Ted Lasso <clears throat> in my life right now. <clears throat> Excuse me, man. Sorry. I got, I guess a bunch of phlegm in my throat. Um, anyway, so to get back on track, uh, yeah, there is right now, I'm sure people are real concerned with, with their portfolios. Um, I'm sure folks are looking at them a lot now, which, you know, it's, this is not the time to be staring at your portfolio every day because you're just gonna, you're gonna throw up. You're gonna have a heart attack. Uh, we definitely are in correction territory, which is not a bad word. You know, uh, it's something that used to be normal. You know, every every 12 to 18 months, we would have corrections in the market and corrections being, you know, a decrease between 10 and 20 percent beyond 20 percent. Uh, you enter bear territory um, and and we are not there yet on the S&P and Dow. We are on the Nasdaq, which is a lot of the growth stocks. We can unpack all that stuff on the show at some point, either organically uh, or not, but you know, a lot of folks are looking at their portfolios and going, you know, what should I do? And it's kind of like 
now is not the time to buy. When the house is on fire is not when you go buy the insurance, you know, for the house. Um, so if, if you're in it, you know, kind of just stick with your long-term plan. But it is, I mean, truth be told, it is an opportunity. If you've got a little cash that's sitting on the sidelines, you know, now is the time to buy. I know it's hard. It's emotionally hard to do that. And I wouldn't throw it all in. I would just take nibbles at it, you know, and buy on the way down because it will it will come back. And, and historically, statistically speaking, uh, corrections last, you know, two, three months. And then we and then we move out of them. We, I realize we have a little bit of a, a small little conflict, uh, you know, going on in Eastern Europe um, that's causing a little more fear and a little bit of pandemonium. But but historically also, you know, international conflicts don't really have a massive impact in U.S. markets. And I'm not being flippant. I'm just it's just math and statistics and, and facts. But uh, but anyway, so if if any of that describes you and you're ready to puke, because I know a lot of people are ready to puke. Um, give us a call, 601-957-0323. Uh, we'll get you a garbage can that you can go ahead and puke into and then help you, you know, devise a plan and and uh, and make sure that you don't make emotional decisions uh, with retirement funds. Uh, you can catch us through email to at info at mypinnwealth.com. All right. There's no way to get into some of the topics today without acknowledging that things are happening in the world, as you mentioned. Things are happening. And um, so I think we'll start with we'll start with the big story. Well, the big story, obviously, if you go to any any publication is uh, Russia's strike against uh, Ukraine or series of strikes. Um, the Big headline yep. in the Wall Street Journal today is Russian airstrikes hit dozens of Ukrainian cities. NATO chief calls Putin's military operation a brutal act of war. Uh, you've got that. Uh, you've got a Turkish-owned ship hit by a bomb off the coast of Odessa. Bank stocks drop sharply. French energy boss sees no easy way to replace Russian gas. Energy stocks hold up better than broader market. Biden to speak about Russian invasion of Ukraine. So that's all of that stuff is I, I read those headlines just to point out that's the backdrop to yep. the stories for today. There's no other way to do that. I don't think I'll start with this. We're a money show people, yep. whether they should or shouldn't. And, and I agree with you, Martin, that we should not watch the markets every day and, and panic, but people do. It's hard and, not to. Uh, yep. Hard not to. I do. I, much as I tell myself, I'm not going to, I, I do look at the markets Almost every day, and today, when you pull up the markets, everything is red. Very well, red. Well, it's kind of crazy. Let's just talk about the volatility real quick, and we'll timestamp it again. So it is 10 literally 1020. Mm-hmm. Um, the NASDAQ started off down 3.5% today, and I just saw it flash across my screen that it, it just turned positive, um, you know, up 0.2% from the open. So, dude, you want to talk about volatility? I mean, I don't. That's it. You're down three and a half at the open, and you've made four percent, you know, back since the open. It's there's a lot of emotion, a lot of uncertainty, you know, and a lot of people making decisions. And I get it. You know, a lot of folks say, um, "I just can't do this, and I'm going to exit the roller coaster." And uh, and that's that's how you, that's how we have so much volatility. Anyway, sorry I interrupted you. It's okay, but I thought it was worthy 
because you were right. This morning when the markets opened, it was bloody, blood in the streets, you know, and then now the NASDAQ is turned around a 4% loss. All right. So this is a story. The headline is Russian attack on Ukraine Royals markets. Invasion sends stocks lower and oil rises to $100 a barrel. Dow industrials fall more than 600 points. This yep. is a story by uh, Anna Hertenstein, Caitlin Ostroff, and Quentin Webb of the Wall Street Journal. That's where this What's is up, coming guys? from. Yeah. Congratulations. Welcome to the show. You're welcome. I, uh, I, this is what we do is I, I read a few paragraphs and you can tell me what, what it means to you. Investors pushed down stocks and lifted the prices of oil, gold, and government bonds after Russian missiles and airstrikes hit Ukraine's capital, Kiev, and more than a dozen other cities across the country. The Dow Jones Industrial Average fell about 630 points, or 1.9% on course to close in correction territory. The S&P 500 dropped 1.3%. It reached correction territory earlier in the week. Yep. The NASDAQ composite, which was recently off 0.8%, was earlier on pace to close in bear territory. Down 20. Boom. Look at that, man. The these right, my, my buddies at the Wall Street Journal are, are confirming what I said earlier. Appreciate you guys. They're really good. I mean, I've, I've told people if you just could only have one publication, this is I think this is your one publication, certainly yep. an American publication. The uh, CBOE. Uh, volatility index rose to yep. the highest level in more than 15 months. The Russian attack, which was swiftly condemned by President Biden, heightens the pressure pressure on a global economy already reeling from snarled supply chains and some of the highest inflation in years, with Europe likely to bear the brunt of the economic impact. Investors are worried that a war between Russia and Ukraine could threaten returns on their investments. This is what appeared an unbelievable to most investors, and this is actually happening, said Slava Smolyanov, Moscow-based chief strategist at BCS Global Markets. It's a complete so, change of everything. We're in a different world now. Let me pause you real quick. So I just make sure, because I may have misheard what you're saying. So the this is a this is a person in Russia saying talking about their markets, correct? Or are, this, uh, are we saying U.S. I think investors? I think he's talking about um, global markets, BCS global markets. Will you go back and reread the mm-hmm. last couple of lines, just so I'm gonna <clears throat> I'm gonna let that sink back in. The Russian what attack, which was swiftly condemned by President Biden, heightens the pressure on a global economy already reeling from snarled supply chains and some of the highest inflation in years with Europe likely to bear the brunt of the economic impact. Investors are worried that a war between Russia and Ukraine could threaten returns on their investments. Okay, so they didn't they did not say and that's where I kind of I wonder if they say US investors or European investors or Russian well, so, so let me read this next paragraph to you. Maybe this helps a little. Sure. The the pan-continental stocks Europe 600 fell about 3%. Yep. The MOEX, M-O-E-X, benchmark for Russian stocks, tumbled 35%, putting it on course for its biggest drop on record. Asian stock indexes also fell sharply. Ukraine's foreign exchange market suspended its operations under martial law measures, according to a statement from its central bank. The country's stock exchange also said it was postponing activity. Brent crude oil, the global benchmark, topped $100 a barrel, for the first time since 2014, with the front month contract more recently rising 5.6% to 99.64 per barrel. 
prices for its U.S. equivalent, West Texas Intermediate, also jumped. Did they say what the WTI price? I can. Uh, oh, it's 97. It was on my. <laughs> when I turned around and looked at my screen, it was flashing right at me. Yeah, I was going to look at for 97. It. Okay, so mm-hmm. it's just under the, the 100 mark. Okay. Uh, the last last paragraph here. Uh, natural gas futures in Europe surged 40% and benchmark prices for aluminum and nickel, two metals of which Russia is a major producer, rose to their highest levels in about a decade. Wheat and corn futures advanced to multi-year highs since both Russia and Ukraine are major grain producers. So the yeah. bottom line is this is going to impact the entire world. Um, what What does it mean, in your opinion, yeah. Short term here in the States. Well, so the the natural gas increase by 40 percent makes one total sense. And I think we even uh, uh, briefly touched this last week <clears throat> because Gazprom, which is one of the largest natural gas companies in, you know, in Europe, Eastern Europe, um, you know, their their huge pipeline runs through Ukraine. Uh, and, and back in like 2015 ish was when Russia said, Hey, we're just, we're going to cut the flow of gas off, um, you know, through, through, uh, through Ukraine, which, which essentially goes into Western Europe. Uh, and they're going to cut off the heating oil for, or the flow of, of heating oil, um, for Europe. And I mean, I could, so I totally understand how natural gas prices would, would skyrocket like that. The thing that, and I, I don't think we can talk about this without getting a little into politics. Now, we don't have to get into, you know, the the he said, she said of politics, but we have, there's no way to talk about it without getting a little political. Because like the jump in, the jump in oil prices, um, there's, the, I say a simple, I won't say simple, but there's an alternative solution for that, which is domestic production uh that we just ramp up significantly and we have the means and ability to do it but there's uh the wrong party is in office for that to be a popular idea i guess is how i'll dance around saying that um you know so if if we see prices at the pump you know rise significantly that wasn't necessary Martin, there, there are people a, talking about a $7 a gallon. And now, look, that's hyperbolic. But it's already in parts of the country over $5 a gallon. If where we live, prices of gas get to be $5 plus a gallon at the pump, it will be a yeah. crisis. Yeah. And when you have a president, and I, this is me being political, when you have a president who walked in and on day one stopped the pipeline thing, Walked in day one, and every step of this is not about Trump. Although Trump, for all of Trump's foibles and all of his flaws, Trump did do a lot to make America more energy independent. He did. That's correct. You cannot take that away from him. You can hate him. You can hate his Twitter. I do. You can hate a lot of things about Donald Trump, but you can't take that away from him. He did do that. So... If the prices are $5 a gallon at the pump, no matter how much Jen Psaki says, well, we just must sacrifice. No, this is a problem. And for a lot of, for a lot of people, 
This is one of one of to me. It's one of my problems with the. And when I say Democrats, I don't mean everybody who votes Democrat. I mean the hardcore Northeastern liberal who lives in that bubble. They have no idea what the real world is like in the country. And if you get to five dollars, five fifty, God forbid, six dollars a gallon, yep, a lot of people won't be able to afford to go to work. Well, and not only not only that, Neil, but then you think about what is five dollar uh, what does five dollar a gallon gas mean for all of the stuff that you need to buy, like groceries. Um, it's going to double in price. About, it's going to double in price, or or more. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, or more. I mean, and that's, and I think that's that's really the larger impact versus the because there are not that we want to right, but there are there are alternatives for some of us for, um, for high gas prices. Like you know, you could pull together. Uh, and you know, if you've got a group, you know, like for us, where our office is, our office isn't really close to civilization We're we're out by the reservoir, by the water. Um, you know, there's on, on, <clears throat> on my way to work, I could probably pick up three people. Uh, it would be a little, uh, you know, a little bit of deviations and we could split gas. So I'm saying like, there's, <clears throat> there's some alternatives for, for that. Not people may not like it, but the worst case scenario you know, if the if we get into the, you know, shit hits the fan situation, that's an alternative. But but I, I'm not going to go split strawberries and bread and eggs, you know, with an, with another family. Like I, I need what I need for my family to survive. And and I, I can't mitigate that cost. So I think that's where a lot of the harm will absolutely, come into, absolutely. You know, it, into it becomes a it, it becomes a needs. yes. It, it, not to interrupt you, it, it becomes no. You're good. It becomes a, a cascading impact, right? Right. Which right. goes back so to there's an the obvious and filling your gas your car up, and gas. there's an obvious correction here, and this is where politics gets in the way of reality. <clears throat> We're a large country. We should be more energy independent. Our, our, and the infrastructure is there. And the infrastructure is there, and it's something we yeah. should do. And and it's why I made my mean tweet, speaking of mean tweets this morning. I mean, I, I'm very frustrated. I'll be honest. I'll say this out loud in case no one can hear it in my voice. We have this country that is so consumed with political correctness right now, consumed with it, that this, the decisions that are made, frankly, are idiotic. They're idiotic. That's what they are. They're, they're, there's, there's, I asked on Twitter, are the Russian tanks electric? It's a hyperbolic, it's a rhetorical question. <laughs> I, I realize they're not. Uh, I think they run on diesel, don't they? You know, we've, we've, we've done this. And so now you worry from a global standpoint of what it means for, for, for markets, for prices, for a lot of things. Right. You worry now, you know, the American response to this. And, and listen, I'm not a warmonger. I don't want us to go fight. In Ukraine, I don't. I don't think we should send our our boys to fight in in Ukraine. It would become a, a, a modern Vietnam. Yeah. But when one of the things that you do as president is you walk in and you essentially weaken the the military, and Biden did. There's no way around that. Dictators and despots around the world see that weakness. Yeah. Licking their chops, and they, they, they act 
And that's what's happening with, in my opinion, you can feel free to disagree. It's what's happening right now with Putin. And I worry about what happens with Taiwan. Sure. No, I mean, I. And frankly, China is a bigger. We've had the China-Taiwan conversation on on this show, you know, several months back. And China's to me is a much bigger concern than Russia. At the end of the day, Russia has a lot of things working against it that make it less of a threat than, than maybe it's made out to be. But China, on the other hand, and, and, I, and I don't mean this from a, hey, they're going to nuke us. I don't mean that at all. Right. I, just, I, I just mean their ability to control us, their ability to make life miserable in America is, it exists. Yeah, <clears throat> we are really dependent on them for goods and services. Well, not more goods and services, I guess I should say. It's the one thing I did like about Trump. I, I did the two the, yeah. the the two things that I liked about Trump, and really, I mean, he did he did punch China in the mouth. He punched China in the ma- mouth, and I think he was viewed by the international community in one of two ways. Either some of the ones kind of laughed at him, but those people didn't matter, right? right? I mean, does it really matter what France thinks of us? I mean, really? <clears throat> I mean, in terms of impacting our daily lives, does it really? Right. No, France is. Do we really care what Norway thinks of us? I mean, honestly. But we have to worry about China. Sure. And if China begrudgingly respects you, maybe thinks you're just crazy enough that they have to be scared of you. <laughs> like I was actually going to ask you, when you got finished talking, I was going to ask you, who are you more afraid of, the really smart person or the really crazy person? Well, like if I'm, if I'm running in my neighborhood, right, and there's a, a dog that, I know is kind of dangerous, but it's fenced yeah, you in. Kind of, you kind of avoid him. He's fenced in, but every time I drive, every time I, I run by, he's snarling, and I keep thinking, boy, I tell you, if that dog ever got out, you're done. He's gonna get a piece of my ass. <laughs> oh, more as, than a piece. As opposed to, like, there's a there's a uh, there's a couple the of dogs dog that, that lays co- in the corner. Yeah, there's a couple of dogs yeah. that I run by, and they're, they're like labs. One's a golden retriever. And, <laughs> He looks That's up nice. sometimes, and he, he'll sometimes go, and I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. See, hey, hey, buddy. I mean, I'm not going to go, like, punch him in the mouth, obviously, but I'm not scared of him. That other dog now, there are times that I think, you know what? I'm not going to run down that street today. <laughs> just in case. I'm just not going to do it because he's scary. Well, that that's kind of what Trump was a little bit, frankly, for being honest, is – I think think Putin and I think Z and others, I think they kind of looked at him like, eh, I don't really know what he'd do, but he's just scary I enough. I want to find out. He's just, he's just crazy enough to be scary. That's what bothers me about like the American political discourse is this idea that the president of the country, whether he's a male or a female or a Republican or a Democrat or whatever, has to be your friend. You're not inviting the president over for dinner, and if you do, he's not coming. What difference does it make what, what he tweets? Are you protected? How's your, how's your, what's the bottom line in your house? Are you protected? Are you safe? Do you have to worry about things? Right. That's the, to me, I, that's how I judge it. But I'm discovering that, obviously, clearly, I'm in the minority. Well, dude, I mean, I, again, uh, with with Trump, there was a lot of things that 
he did that, you know, I look back on and I'm like, man, I wish we'd have done that different. And one of them, I'll, I'll, I'll just point blank say it right now, the shutting the economy down, you know, and, and we talked about it a lot during that time too, you know, on the show, um, shutting it down. That really was the beginning. That was the catalyst for, you know, where we are today with inflation issues and supply chain issues. Cause when you shut the economy down, you can't, it's not going to just start. And it was the first time in history we've ever done it. And you can't just, you can't just restart it, jumpstart it immediately. Um, and you know, and then I don't know, PPP definitely helped a lot of people, uh, you know, through, through some tough times and keeping folks paid. But then we just kept giving cash and kept giving cash when we really should have cut the spigot off for not just not PPP, but you know, all this money were, we were blasting into the economy. Cause if you look at, did we talk about M2 supply the last time? I don't recall that. that. I can't remember if we did or didn't. It's just the amount of money that's in circulation. There is this massive spike, you know, during the February, March timeframe. Uh, and it went from, and this, this was quoted in billions and it was like 15,000 billions. So I don't know if that's 15 trillion or if that's 15 quadrillion. I don't know. It's a number I can't even wrap my head around. That was where we were, you know, supply of money in the markets prior to the COVID stuff. Then it jumped up to 18, you know, in those few months, which was a, I mean, you go from, 15 to 18 is, you know, a move of three, but realistically that's a 20% increase from 15 to 18 of supply of money. There's a 20% increase of supply of money in the markets in a really short period. And then you look at it right now and it's up at 21. So we had another, you know, 20, 25% um, increase of supply of money supply in the markets. And meanwhile, we told people, you know, you're not going to go to work because we're closed. Right. And businesses were, had shut their, had shut their functioning, all their functions down. We had the supply chain glut from, you know, overseas. So we have all this cash that is chasing lesser and lesser things and stuff. And so like, that is the literal textbook definition of how you end up with inflation and that's where we are. And so, I mean, that was a really long dialogue for something I think that Trump messed up, but I, I mean, dude, I didn't worry about global conflicts when Trump was in office. I mean, I know people are like, Oh, you know, he's uh, on the edge of world war three with China. And I was like, well, I mean, I think he's going to keep those guys in check. They're not going to do anything stupid. Yeah, the truth is. Because they know he's dumb enough to, or crazy enough to go, oh, you want to invade Taiwan? Okay, we'll just, we'll, sh- we'll send you a gift. Yeah. From the U.S. with love. The truth is, he was, there was a reason why there was very little, very little international conflict involving our country in his four years. And again, I'm not, I'm not a Trump guy. I'm not. Did a lot no, of things I, I didn't I like. I didn't. I didn't like a lot of the stuff that he did because I, I I worried that the stuff that he was doing was going to hurt. Um, was going to be, that the Republicans were going to pay for it. 
are worried about it. And, and they have, and, and, and now we... And we are. We are. We're paying for it. And, and decision, <laughs> elections have consequences. And now we sit here in February, and there's nine months before the next election. And... And, and there's a lot, there's a lot, <laughs> a lot going on. I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot going on. Um, I mean, and look, so if we can be totally honest, this is not what Biden needs right now, right? Or the Democrats in an election year I, or in a, as we're about to hit. I don't know. You know, it's interesting just being purely political for a minute. And maybe yeah. I'm wrong. I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm brainstorming a little bit. I'm doing it out loud, which is probably dangerous, but, um, where Biden and the Democrats are in trouble as of today, going into 2022, is with the moderate vote. The, and I say this very tongue-in-cheek, the stereotypical, proverbial soccer mom, right? The moderate. The moderates who swung to Biden in 2020 have swung, according to all polling, I mean, just pick your poll. Um, they've swung away from from Biden and the Democrats over the last 13, 14, 15 months to the point where now I think all indications are if the midterms were held today, the Republicans would, would dominate. They would do, it would be a bloodletting. So, and a lot of that is pandemic-related. Um, sure. You know, turns Endemic. out. But it was pandemic, right? Because it turns out <laughs> that the I, I was just being yeah. It turns out that the you know the and again I'm I'm, I'm being general here, so you, so you can call it soccer dad if you'd like if that make you feel better. It's fine too. The moderate guy, woman, who very is is their 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 worldview typically, and I don't mean hey like, I have no problem with this because I'm kind of this way. Their, their worldview sometimes doesn't go much further than the kitchen table, and and. They've seen that little Johnny and little Jenny were were negatively impacted by this. They've yep. lost trust in in the government. They feel like at the very minimum they were misled, uh, at a, at a and, and in many cases lied to, and um, and they feel wronged, and their focus is on getting back to normal as fast as possible, and and they want. They want the mandates lifted. They don't want little Johnny to have to get a, a vaccine that they don't think little Johnny needs. They, 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 they don't, they're tired of the school being virtual in some places. They're tired of mask mandates. They're tired of these things. They're, they've realized that, that this has impacted their families and they want to get back to normal. Well, that's been the focus. And for the Democrats to get past that requires one of two things. They either have to come out and go, hey, we meant well, or they need something to distract. And this would distract. Because if people suddenly go from worrying about, especially if you, all of us like Minneapolis just today, effective immediately drop mask mandates. Just out of the blue. Done. Yeah, I mean, California did it, what, last, <clears throat> last week? Yeah, so, you know, as because this Hawaii stuff. Hawaii is maybe the only state left with a mandate so i kind of wonder if you know there's a just from a pure political standpoint if the focus of a threat of and i'm being a little hyperbolic i hope i'm being a lot hyperbolic but the threat of world war three becomes the consuming thing and if biden and the democrats can change the way that moderates view them from you're the people that lied to us about the pandemic to you're the people that are going to keep us safe 
if maybe that helps them salvage something in mm. November. I could be okay. wrong. Yeah. I didn't look at it that way, <clears throat> but I can see how you got there. I can see how you got there. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I guess, you know, in my head, I would be looking at administration and going, how did we get here? And And not to be flippant by any stretch of the imagination, but what is sanctioning Russia going to do? Putin doesn't care. I don't, yeah, I don't. I don't know that it does. Um, and then Putin's had time to prepare for sanctions. Yeah, that he has. They have. You know, I mean, he's kind of, I think this has been coming for a while. It's been talked about for a while. All right, so there's a couple of other things that are. Yeah, sorry, man. We went down yeah, a rabbit trail, down a rabbit trail, down a rabbit trail, down a rabbit trail. So we got about 15 minutes or less to okay. touch on three things that I, I want to quickly yeah. touch on. One is this. Um, inflation threatens to erode the impact of the $1 trillion infrastructure law that was recently passed. It costs more for materials. It costs more for workers. It, in other words, you can get less with your trillion than, yep. than Congress then thought you could, you could two when, years ago. Yeah, when yep. this was passed. And uh, this is, let's see, uh, Andrew Duran of Wall Street Journal. Rising prices, snarled supply chains are poised to blunt the impact of the $1 trillion Dollar infrastructure law Congress passed with bipartisan support last year. How many roads, bridges, railways, fiber optic lines, and other types of infrastructure the U.S. can build or fix under the law, a central accomplishment of President Biden's that experts say is a generational investment, will largely hinge on the extent of increases in everything from the cost of diesel fuel to workers' wages. Elevated costs for materials and labor are already pushing contractors to charge more for construction projects, government data shows, Increases that economists and industry officials say could reduce the number of infrastructure projects the new federal money can finance. State and lower local officials facing higher prices may give priority to easier, less ambitious products, and some worry that a rush of government spending could exacerbate, exacerbate, I can't say the word I cannot, I've never been able to say, inflation in the industry. Sure. So that's one thing. That has to frustrate Biden because I think in a scenario where he runs for reelection, that was going to be one of his crown achievements. Yep. Um, And if inflation and prices go up to where less gets done, he can claim less. Now he can blame other things, but sure he's he's got to he's got he's going to have to answer Biden is or whoever runs for president in twenty twenty four is going to have to answer for the economy and supply chain shortfalls, which leads to my next story that I want to get your thoughts on. Uh, Again, Wall Street Journal, this is Paul Berger. The Biden administration on Thursday outlined dozens of measures the federal government can take to strengthen freight transportation and infrastructure following almost two years of supply chain turmoil that has frustrated American businesses and helped fuel inflation. The recommendations from the U.S. Department of Transportation are included in one of seven reports. From um, the administration has sought to intervene to help resolve some of the bottlenecks, particularly at a Southern California port complex swamped by sea containers amid a long queue of vessels uh, waiting to unload imports. In other words, there's a lot of stuff here that has been a result of, frankly, the pandemic that has created supply chain issues that now they're they they need these things to go away politically, yeah. right? I mean, they they 
is there enough time for them to come in and go, basically, hey, never mind, go ahead, unload, let's go, quit worrying about protocols, let's go, let's get things moving, or has the damage been done? Uh, dude, well, I mean, for the for the ships that are the container ships that are out there, I I don't I don't under I don't unless they break protocol, I don't see how they how they get out of the bottleneck there where they just say, hey, just get your stuff here, get, let's get it unloaded, and let's get you back out because the ships are still coming, right? That are just so it's like every time they get one unloaded, you know, and I don't know, I'm I'm pulling this number out of thin air. I don't know if it's if it's true or not. But in my head, I imagine it's a one for one, right? Yeah. You get one. You get one ship unloaded and back headed back across the pond. But there's another ship that has pulled into the queue as that ship is unloading. So all of the bottleneck that's sitting out there is never going to get any relief um, unless they break protocol. And and honestly, and I don't know enough about the, you know the um, the ports to know are there. You know, are there those cranes that look like, you know, the Star Wars yeah. AT-ATs? Um, are there enough of those that are not being utilized where, you know, where we could get multiple ships in? Oh, there's so know? much here in this story. I wish we had like an hour for this because this is fascinating stuff. The administration report identifies near, medium, and long-term policies aimed at improving the flow of goods from ports to distribution facilities and delivery to homes. They range from investing in port infrastructure and roads to working more closely with local government and private companies such as shipping and logistics firms, importers and exporters. Some of the goals require legislative changes such as a proposal to eliminate a law that exempts trucking companies from paying overtime to doctor to drivers. Others require broad changes in the global maritime industry. One proposal would study ways to increase domestic shipbuilding Another would explore the changing of the standard for shipping containers around the world to match the size used in domestic U.S. domestic shipping operations. Uh, the report notes the COVID-19 pandemic exposed longstanding weaknesses in the U.S. supply chain that will come under more strain in the coming years as government agencies forecast freight demand will increase 40% by 2045. Dang. You know what we need to do? We need to hire Chick-fil-A's team to go figure this thing out. You know what? I wouldn't kind of, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it against them. Past. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't want to bet against Chick-fil-A's team and, and getting bottlenecks worked out their ability to, because they are masters drive, at it. They're masters at the drive through. And yeah, I mean, you see those lines and you're like, that's going to take an hour. And then people yeah. get through there in 10 minutes. And you're like, son of a, so, dude, we have a we have a backyard burger that's right next to the Chick Fil A in Madison, and you know, backyard burger at lunchtime will have you know, I'm just gonna say you know, eight to ten vehicles, you know, in the in the line, and Chick Fil A has forty in the line, and I'll hop in the Chick Fil A line, and I will have got in at the back, gotten my food, pulling out, and the truck at the end of the line will be at the, you know, the order screen ordering their food it's just crazy man it, i don't i really don't understand how they do it they're just masters of of logistics and they think about things and they're pleasant too and the chicken's good anyway sorry uh rabbit rabbit trail okay so here's another one we talked we've talked a lot about mortgage rates over yes. the last few weeks um, they're going up they're going up so this As is expected, a story even before ukraine and russia stuff they're going yeah. up 
Headline here is mortgage rates hover near 4%, stressing buyers before the spring selling season. This is by Orla McCaffrey of the Wall Street Journal. She writes, I assume it's a female, um, mortgage rates hovered just below 4% for a second week, maintaining stress on potential buyers facing high prices on low inventory. The average rate for a 30-year fixed rate loan was 3.89%. Mortgage finance giant Freddie Mac said Thursday, down slightly from 3.92% last week at the beginning of the year. The average rate on America's most popular home loan was 3.22%. The Russian invasion of Ukraine stands to push down mortgage rates as investors flock to U.S. Treasuries, widely seen as safe investments during times of political instability, economists said. Mortgage rates are closely tied to yields on the 10-year Treasury, U.S. Treasury, which fell near their lowest levels this month on Thursday. The retreat in Treasury yields reverses a 2022 increase driven in part by expectations that the Federal Reserve will begin raising interest rates next month for the first time since 2018, reflecting high inflation and efforts to normalize the economy following following earlier waves of pandemic-related stimulus. So you've talked a lot about this. Does what's happening around the world with some of the market volatility that it creates, does that make you reevaluate? your prediction as to what's going to happen in terms of interest rates? Uh, man, it really doesn't. Um, I just don't think, cause, and I may be lone wolf out here on this and I may, and I may look like an idiot, you know, a year down the road, <clears throat> but I kind of look at Jay Powell's job and, you know, uh, Bullard kind of, kind of cucked him, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago when, when he came out and said, you know, we need to have we need to have a go up by a hundred basis points on a on a raise, and and yeah, you know, investors just kind of flipped out because the for the most part, the Fed, you know, they kind of they kind of all get in unison, and I know you'll have a couple on the fringe that will say, yeah, but I think we could do a little extra, and then and then he comes out and goes, you know, we should raise them four times as much in one in in a hike <clears throat> and uh it kind of spooked some folks man and and that was really where a lot of our market volatility started but you know they're looking at US economy <clears throat> when they're <clears throat> excuse me man when they're um when they're talking about rates and we still have inflation in the US that's got to get checked our economy is still is still relatively strong and I, I just can't see how, you know, a conflict in Eastern Europe is going to slow them down in in raising rates because that because inflation is just going to continue unchecked if we if we don't make if we don't make the moves. Now, what I think will happen is I think we're going to get a hike next month. Uh, I think we're going to get a hike, you know, probably in May. I think we'll probably get a hike in the summer. And then I think that they're going to kind of take a look and say, all right, how, how, what's the impact here? And if, and if there's not a lot of ripples, I think we'll get one more, you know, at the end of the year. So I think I'm in the camp of, of kind of the four to five for the year. There are folks that are saying we're going to get, you know, seven hikes or some folks calling for eight. I just don't, I don't see that. I think that they could take some consideration for, you know, for conflict, you know, outside of the U.S. for saying no 
to seven or eight. But man, I honestly, I think that Powell is going to stay on the path of, of raising rates. Um, you know, inflation, because their, their mandate is, you know, to try to keep inflation, <clears throat> you know, at an average of two, two and a half percent, which from 2008 through, you know, really 2020, we they couldn't they couldn't get inflation up to two percent as much as they tried, and uh, you know and so now there is some inflation, but they're trying to keep those long term averages, you know, in check. And then unemployment is their is their other mandate. So it's if they're following their mandates, they can't be paying attention to what's going on, <clears throat> you know, in the Ukraine or in Ukraine and and Russia because that. That doesn't impact, uh, or worst case scenario, it increases inflation for us if there's natural gas, corn and wheat, um, you know, issues. So I, I, I don't think that it, I don't think it slows them down, but I could be, I could be completely wrong. So saying that, I said all that to say, I think mortgage rates are going to continue to go up. The 10 year is going to continue to rise. Yes, the 10 year has been really volatile with, you know, people flocking from stocks into bonds, but those are just short-term moves that are based on emotion and fear because no one in their right mind is saying, Hey, I'm going to put, you know, unless you have a mandate to do it. Like if a client, if if you came to me with cash, Neil, and you said, Hey, I'm really, I'm a bond investor or, and I can't stomach volatility and here's cash. Will you invest it for me? I'm going to look at you and go, um, we got to find an alternative route because I'm not going to put your money in a 10-year bond when I know the Fed is raising rates. And I know that when the rates go up, the price of your 10-year bond is going to go down. So I'm, I am theoretically locking you in and taking liquid money and turning it illiquid to make you hold it for, you know, for 10 years so that you don't lose money. I just can't in my right mind and conscience do that with, with a client's money. So, you know, uh, mortgage rates are going to go up. 10 years is going to go up. Um, and you know, I don't know if mortgage rates will go, you know, as quickly as the short, as the short side, but you know, maybe, maybe, maybe rates do get up to mortgage rates, get up to, you know, five, five percent, four and a half, five percent, which, and that's significant in all, I mean, it's, it's higher than our lows, but dude, when I got my first mortgage, yeah, my rate was six and a half percent and yeah, you know, and we're still in a low rate environment relative to, to Rel- relative to history. Yes, for sure. Well, Hey, we got to go. Uh, you're up against your clock. Uh, we'll, we'll, this, this story's not going, th- none of these stories. Are it going is not away. going anywhere. No, no we're no. going to be talking about this for weeks. Man. They'll be, they'll be rolling around. There's a lot to get into with the housing market and stuff, but as we get into the spring, that's even going to become a hotter topic. So we'll get to it. Starting next week when we join you again for another edition of Mind on My Money. Again, thanks to everyone for making us a part of your week. It's mypinwealth.com, M-Y-P-I-N-N wealth.com. If you like the podcast, tell a friend. We'd appreciate it. For Martin Palomo, I'm Neil McCready. Have a great weekend. Talk to you next week.